Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, and then from verse 28, chapter 6, verse 8. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. And so it goes on until we reach verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labour and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham and Jepheth. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to have you with us this morning. If you do have your Bible there, please do turn back to Genesis chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 uh, as we look at this passage today. Now we've been doing this series in Genesis for a few weeks now and a couple of weeks ago uh, we looked at Genesis chapter 3 and we looked at the fall and the disobedience of Adam and Eve Remember that God had said to them they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, from the garden, and yet the serpent tempted them, and they took of the fruit, and they ate, they disobeyed God. And we saw that there were consequences for their sin, that they were banished uh, from the garden in case they ate from the tree 
uh, of life. Uh, They were given animal skins, but they were forced out of the garden, uh, and there were punishments for their sin. Now, when we came to Genesis chapter 3, you might be tempted to to think to ourselves, "Well, well, that is great. I am so glad that is the worst part of the whole entire Bible, and it's over. Did you think that? But sadly, though Genesis 3 is the start of sin, it's not the end of sin. And as we moved into chapter 4 last week, we saw the father descend into sin uh, with Cain killing his brother Abel, and then Lamech, who was a descendant uh, of Cain, who also killed a man uh, who was married to two wives and clearly was a bit of an unsavory uh, character. Now, all this is a bit gloomy, isn't it? And I'll warn you now that in the readings that we have today, it's even worse. It's even worse. Because we see the further descent into sin, so much so that the Lord will have to take drastic action. And we might be forced to ask the question, as it says on our slide there, where did it all go wrong? How did it reach this point? How did things get so bad in Genesis 5 and 6? And how are they so bad now? And if you don't think they're bad now, well, I woke up this morning and I saw there were shootings in Texas. I see the issues in Ukraine. I see 800,000 people being forced from their homes in Mozambique. Why is it this way? Now, we might also wonder, when we have come to worship this morning, why do we have to focus on all of this? When do we get to the good bit? Maybe you're thinking that this morning. After all, maybe you come to church each Sunday, or you watch online, and and you watch to be uplifted, don't you? Or as J. John memorably puts it, you come to have a faith lift. That's what you come every Sunday for, is it not? A faith lift. Maybe some of us need more of that than others. And maybe you come this morning and you're like, well, what is it? And it's more sin. And it's more depravity. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, can we not just skip to the good bit? I want to get to the good bit. Well, I hope that throughout this series, looking at the book of Genesis, that we have realized that there is hope. Perhaps just hints of hope, but there is always hope, and hope is coming. So, so stick with it, because the hope is there. But I want you to realize this morning that it's not as if we reach Genesis 3 with the fall, and God says, you know, that's fine, and we just simply skip to Matthew chapter 1 and the coming of Jesus. We have the rest of the book of Genesis then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yes, you know your books of the Bible. Yeah, You keep going until you reach Malachi. Then you've got 400 years. Then you've got the gospel. Good news. Why do we have all this length of time? You see, we don't just have the fall, then immediately the coming of Jesus. We have all this history in between. And it's there to teach us something. You see, the reality is that unless we understand we are great sinners, then we will never understand how great a Savior we have. 
That's the reality. Indeed, we will never understand their need for a saviour at all. Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, once said this. He said, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the saviour. He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned, with a rope round his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honour of the Redeemer, by whose blood he has been cleansed. And so what one is to understand is that it's really important for us to recognise the significance of sin, the destruction that it causes and continues to cause in our own lives and also into the world. If we take sin lightly, then we'll take Jesus lightly too. But if we understand about sin, then we'll be so thankful for the Savior that we have in Jesus. If we don't understand the power of sin, we will never understand the power and might of Jesus. Now in chapter 5 this morning, I spared Carol, I hope you noticed this, from reading all the names. If you had your Bible uh, before you, lots of tricky names in Genesis uh, chapter 5. And it's one of these chapters in the Bible, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, you'll reach chapter 5 and you think, oh, just a bunch of names. Difficult, you know, we'll just skip and we'll get on to the next chapter. Now, I do want to spend most of the time this morning looking at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6. But there are a few things that are really important to note in Genesis chapter 5 that we shouldn't miss. The first thing is that in the Old Testament, and particularly in the history books, so kings or chronicles, there's often a, a pause in proceedings and then there's a genealogy. I hope you notice that in the Bible. And that's what we have in chapter 5. We've had the first four chapters, and then we've got a genealogy in chapter 5. Now, before we just dismiss it as a bunch of names, it's important to ask the question, why is this family tree, this genealogy, here? Well, the first major reason is that it's to ground things in history, isn't it? You see, some people would say that Adam is just like a a representative man. That God created lots of men, you know, and Adam was just, you know, a representation. And Eve is just a, a representative early woman. But that's not the way that the Bible sees it, because from Adam we then have those who follow. We have Seth, and then we have, uh, it goes down, down the line. And so what you notice is the Bible's trying to root Adam in history. It's rooted that way. Now, the second thing to notice is what happens in verse 5. And this is very easy for us to miss. Because in verse 5, what do you notice in chapter 5? We see that Adam dies. He dies. Yes, he's at a ripe old age, but he dies. Now, why is that significant? Well, what did God say? When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said that they would die. Remember, the serpent said, you'll not surely die. But here, Adam dies. It comes to pass. Adam doesn't live forever. And of course, this is the destiny for us all, isn't it? What does 1 Corinthians 15 say? For as in Adam, all die. 
There's a second part to that verse. You need to go and look for yourself. If you want a faith lift, go and look at the end of that verse after our service today. But this is what happens to us all. We cannot avoid death when we are an Adam. That's the reality. Now, the third thing to notice is the extraordinary ages that those in the genealogy live to. Did you notice that? You may be scratching your head this morning. Adam, 930. Seth, 912. Methuselah, oldest person in the Bible, was 900 and? Come on now. 969, okay. 969. Why did they live for so long? Why did these people live for so long? Well, it may have been that they counted years slightly differently. That's possible. Or it may have been that there was a decline. Adam and Eve were probably meant to live forever in the Garden of Eden. But slowly there's been a decline. And overall, you'll notice that on average, yes, it's a wee bit up and down. On average, the age comes down and down. So you've got Lamech at the end who lives to 777. Now, of course, we, when we get to chapter 6, we see that the Lord is so distressed with what's going on in the world that he limits human days to 120 years. Now, the last thing I want you to notice in chapter 5 is that this is Adam's line, not through Cain, but through Seth. It's through Seth. And it's a contrast to what happens to Cain's line in chapter 4. Remember what we looked at uh, last week? We looked at the story of Cain and Abel, but then further down the line, you've got someone and it finishes with, with Lamech, this awful man who kills someone, you know, who says you'll take vengeance out if anyone comes and kills him. Awful. But do you notice something interesting? Cain's line finishes with a man named Lamech, but Seth's line also ends here in chapter 5 with a man named Lamech. And this man, Lamech, has a son in whom there is hope. And that person is Noah. Noah. And we know the story of Noah, don't we? Noah's story is, uh, is coming. And what's being pointed out here is, in chapter 5, is that Seth's line is the line of hope. It has people in it who are faithful. People like Enoch who was taken away by God because of his faithfulness. And then, of course, someone like Noah. So this is the line of faith. And as we looked at very briefly last week, it's Seth's line that Jesus comes from. Now, let's move on to to chapter 6 this morning. Now, in chapter 6, there are lots of things which are puzzling. And if you didn't read these eight verses this morning and come away puzzled, then you're a better man or woman than I am. Because these are difficult things that we are dealing with in Genesis chapter 6. And there are lots of questions, aren't there? Who are the sons of God who are marrying the daughters of humans? Are they fallen angels? Are they some kind of supernatural beings who are the nephilim who also appear incidentally in numbers chapter 13 later on 
Now, the Hebrew root for Nephilim is fallen ones. So are they fallen angels who are having relationships with the daughters of men? Are they giants, as described in Numbers chapter 13? What exactly is going on here? Or is this simply some kind of way of describing how how Seth's line, which is the line of faithfulness, and Cain's line, which is basically the line of unfaithfulness, have been mixing together? Is that really what's going on here? Now, none of these are easy questions to answer, and there are lots of theories as to who the sons of God are and who the Nephilim are. No easy answers. And there are no easy answers to these questions that is a settled view uh, among commentators. But what's really important to focus on in Genesis uh, 6 verses 1 to 8 is the downward descent of humankind further and further away from God. That's really what's being described here. So much so that their days, the days of humanity, are now 120 years. Now, most of us, of course, don't live to 120 years. It's more like three score years and ten, isn't it? Now, Rona's already told you that the oldest living person this morning, who's 118, the oldest verified modern person to live was uh, Jean Calment of France, uh, who was 122 uh, when she died in 1997. And so we know, don't we, that the no one tends to get over 120 or thereabouts. That is the years of humanity. We then see in verse 5 that the Lord sees how great the wickedness of the human race has become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now that's a very sobering verse this morning, isn't it? This is what John Calvin speaks about when he speaks of total depravity. Because even though humans are are made in the the image of God, and we see that in Genesis 1 and Genesis uh, 2, look at what's happening now. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, evil, all the time. Now, that's distressing, isn't it? If you don't read that in your distress this morning. But what's worse is verse 6. Is there a sadder verse in the Bible? What does it say there? Read this and weep. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. That's awful, isn't it? You see, sometimes we think that God is so sovereign over all and he knows the beginning from the end that he does not care, that he is not moved. But God is not far off from his creation and he cares deeply as to what's going on and he's distressed by it all. He sees the depravity and he's deeply troubled. Why is he troubled? Because this is not the way that it should be. This is not who humans were created to be. And so the Lord decides to bring judgment and to wipe clean his creation. Because what are human beings doing? They're killing each other. 
They're marrying fallen angels. They're getting involved in Nephilim. There is wickedness, wickedness, wickedness everywhere. Total depravity. And it's all gone wrong. Now you might think this morning, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Well, there's always hope, isn't there? Why do you come to church each Sunday? There is hope. Because there's verse 8, isn't there? What does verse 8 say? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now this is the first time in the Bible that favor or grace is mentioned. Now we don't know how Noah finds favor. He must be someone who's faithful. Excuse me. But Noah finds favor. And this is where the hope is, isn't it? Because we know what happens next, don't we? We know about the flood. We know the clouds are gathering, that the flood is coming. But we know that Noah built that ark and that God makes promises to Noah and that rainbow is coming in the sky. That's wonderful, isn't it? So I want you to notice that even in the misery, there's still hope that is coming. So today, what do we see? We see that human kind's hearts are wicked in every way. Now, if you think about that, that rails against the idea of of, of a Christian being equated to a good person in today's culture. There's been a change in the word Christian, hasn't there? Because often when, you know, people say, oh, that's a... You know, she's a good Christian lady, or that's a a good Christian man. What do they mean? They just mean they're a good person. That's what they're saying, isn't it? But actually, I want to tell you this morning, a Christian is not a good person. Because what did Jesus say? There is no one truly good but God. We are all sinners who are desperately in need of God's grace. All of us are sinners. You see, we look at this passage this morning and we think, oh, that's awful. What's going on? Maybe we look at our world today. We see what's happening in Ukraine. We see the shootings in Texas. That's awful, isn't it? And absolutely it is. It's awful. But sometimes in saying it's awful, we're, we're setting ourselves apart and saying, oh, look how much better I am. But if we look into our hearts, what often do we see? We see blackness. We see darkness. We see times of hate. Times when we've let others down. None of us is perfect. We're all sinners. Sinners who desperately need God's grace. If we don't understand that we are sinners, we'll never need God's grace. If we never understand that we're sinners, we'll never need Jesus. But if we do understand we're sinners, the wonderful thing is, and it's hinted at in this passage, as it's been hinted at all the way through, is that God is a God who shows favor, who shows grace. He is a gracious God, and He's willing to reach out And he does so in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, we are not saved by being a good person. We are not saved by doing good works. But we are saved for good works when we believe and trust in Jesus. And when we understand that we are a sinner, when we understand that we need a Savior, it's then that we come with thankful hearts to Jesus. Because there is no one else that we can come to. Only to Him. And what happens when we believe in Jesus? Well, this is the faith lift this morning. This is what you came for. Because when you believe in Jesus, what happens? You're born again. You're made new. You're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Do you not long for that in your own soul? You see, sometimes in our own lives, we know that we let ourselves down, don't we? There are times when we do things, we think, why did you do that? But when we trust and believe in Jesus, we know we have a great Savior. One who accepts us, one who forgives us. One in whom there is hope and there is life. When we believe in Jesus, we are a new creation. And we become the person God has called us to be. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Is that not wonderful? So I want you to see this morning. In Genesis 5 and 6. Total depravity. It's awful. But I want you also to see. God's amazing grace. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage this morning, we recognize there are many things that we don't quite understand. Who are these sons of God? Who are the Nephilim? Why do people live for so long? But what we do understand is that there is wickedness, that there is a descent downwards away from you, Lord God. And Father, as we look at this this morning, we might shake our heads and tut But we recognize in our own hearts that there is similar blackness. That though we are made in your image, we fall so far short of your glory. Father, help us this morning to understand the gravity of sin. Because it's only in understanding the gravity of sin and understanding who we truly are, that we can understand what an amazing, mighty, wonderful Savior that we have in Jesus. And if we take sin lightly, then we take Jesus lightly. Father, help us this morning to understand that Jesus is the Savior that we need, that in him there is hope and life and forgiveness. That Jesus is the one who brings hope where before there was only death and despair. Heavenly Father, we thank you that throughout your word we can trace aspects of hope. Because we know that Jesus came from Seth's line. We know in Genesis chapter 6 that we see Noah. Noah, someone who is righteous. Someone who is faithful. 
someone who found favor. We thank you for these glimmers of hope, but we thank you that that hope is fulfilled firmly and securely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that our hope might be anchored firm in him. So, Lord God, help us to understand something of ourselves today, what we are truly like, and help us to understand that in Jesus we have a great, a wonderful Saviour who has shown us amazing grace. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.